Before I start today, though, I want to just kind of prep our hearts a little bit with a few verses I'm going to read. This is out of Colossians chapter 2 and 3, and then we'll get to our focal passage. In Colossians 2.20, Paul writes, and he asks a question. He says, if you died, if, if you died with Christ from the law, from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? And then he admonishes them not to get caught up in worthless religious observances. Throughout the whole conversation of dealing with the Lord's day, with the Sabbath day, when, when Jesus, and we will see again here in a minute, when he pronounced himself the Lord of the Sabbath, he wasn't attacking the Sabbath itself. He was attacking the, the empty, ritualistic observance of it. He was attacking the idea that the Jewish religious leaders had of box checking. If I do this, I will be right with God, with no relationship, just mindless observance and rigidity. And so Paul, over here in Colossae, he asks a question. If you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why would you subject yourself again to regulations that have mindless observance and rigidity? The Judaizers wanted to take Christians out of grace back under that heavy hand of law. And the bad part is, it wasn't primarily about the law, such as the moral law, or even so much as the ceremonial law. No doubt it was, but what was really, what was really expected was an observance to all of the man-made laws they put on top of that. Else, in chapter 3, Paul writes... If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, he says again, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When you approach the Lord's day, do it with that attitude. Set your mind on things above. Christ is. And he says it twice. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. And he says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And one day he's going to come back and we're going to be with him. Therefore, he says, put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication. Imagine telling the church, stop fornicating. He says, church, stop with the uncleanness, stop with the passion and stop with the evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. And that's what he calls those things. And he, he reminds them because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. And this is all a past tense. Remember when you were like that? But now you yourselves are to put off 
All these anger. Christian, I'm begging you. Stop letting the world and the flesh feed your flesh. Stop taking your cues from unregenerate people and and out-of-step Christians that are living in open rebellion. You take your cues from Jesus. You take your cues from the Holy Spirit. You get your advice from Scripture and you align yourself to it. If it kills you, so be it. If you want peace, you live there. So get rid of anger. Get rid of wrath. Get rid of malice. Get rid of blasphemy. Filthy language, and you know how I feel about that. Stop cussing. If you don't have any more vocabulary than that, you need to read more books. Stop lying to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And Paul's assuming an obvious fact that Christians are to be different. Distinct. Holy. Separated. You're not hearing me say perfect. You're not hearing me say that that somehow we should be able to walk across the lake and get to the other side. What you are hearing me say is reading the scripture saying this is who we ought to be. And he says, stop lying to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, neither uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. And he's describing the church. Be the church. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. And therefore, verse 12, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. How about that? How about that for a new soda close? Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on meekness. Put on long-suffering. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also do. And I'm reminded of what it says in Hebrews about how love keeps no record of wrongs. Okay? Just so you all know, this is, this is really big in my Bible. Do you want to know why it's emphasized like that? Because I need to see it. So I won't miss it. Above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, which, by the way, the word rule there means arbitrate. How about that? Think of it that way. Let the peace of God arbitrate in your heart what stays, what goes, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, there it is, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now you think, wow, did you read that? 
Because I believe that the Lord's day is a good day to come to passages like this and just stay there. I think after church, when you go home, you take your Bible and you find passages like that and you just think on it a while. Put it inside your heart. Go about your, what you're doing and think on those things. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. One of the downsides to studying a lot is you have a lot to say. So I'm going to try to do this as much as I can and be judicious in use of the time. But I feel it's important as we close out this issue of looking at the Lord's Day today that we do so with with an urgency of getting it redeemed in our lives. That we know the Lord's Day does not end at noon. That the Lord's Day is not capricious or optional. It's part of the creation ordinance. And when and when and we look around in history, we can definitely connect a casual disregard for the Lord's day and connecting to the decline of culture. I forget who said it, but if, if there's 52 weeks in a year, math people pay attention. And you have roughly three hours of instruction at church, assuming you go to Sunday school. And if you don't, really ask that you probably consider why. So 52 Sundays in a year times three hours... How much is that? What? What? 156 hours of instruction in the scripture. Now, how many hours does everything else get? How many hours does your cell phone get? How many hours do your other books that have nothing to do with anything good get? How many hours do fruitless conversations get? How many? What I'm trying to say is, is that we need to be very careful in the time that God's given us. The Lord's day, at least, is built into the schedule. <laughs> it happens every seven days. Okay. I'm going to read again from... Uh, Uh, John Elias. O foolish creatures, selling the church of God for the empty toys and pleasures of the world and flesh. That's one way to start a letter, isn't it? He says, we continue to converse in our meetings and in the churches on keeping the Sabbath day more holy. And we have room to think that the Lord is pleased with it. We are persuaded now that our manner in spending the Sabbath, especially as to our spirits and words, is very displeasing to the Lord. And if the frame of our minds and conduct is offensive to God on the particular day we have to wait on Him, how can we expect to have His favor, His assistance, and to see Him working among us? In other words, if we give no thought to God on the day He set apart, then why would we expect for Him to do much through the week? 
We examine everyone in the churches as to his manner of spending the Sabbath. We ask him two things in particular. One, on the attitude with which they approach the Sabbath, do they call it a delight? Do they, do they enjoy the Lord's day? Do they, do they look forward to the Lord's day? And then, in what sense is it a delight to him? In other ways, why do you? Why? Like, and I think if we were to contemporize this, we would say, I would just ask, why are you here? Why did you come today? What are you looking for? What are you hoping to see or to hear? What do you want here? That would be contemporizing that question. We have remarkable answers for many, but the most part are lamenting on account of the state of their hearts on the Sabbath. Well, that's a good sign. We are in hopes that the attempt will be blessed for the revival of our churches. Praise God, let it be. Let it begin. If private prayers were more frequent and earnest and the conversations more, he uses the word religious, but he's talking about genuine and spiritual on the Sabbath, the public ministry would be more effectual and more blessings would be communicated. You hear what he's saying here is if, 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 if our conversations and our speech were coming from hearts full of a desire to know God more and for revival to fall upon us, he says, how much more effective would these hours be spent on the Lord's day gathered together as the body, right? He said, there is a great need to see more of the effects of sermons on the members of the church. There's a great need for that. How can we expect to see much of the powerful effects of God on the world when so little of its sacred influences are visible on the church? When the doctrines of grace are not powerful enough to awaken those that sleep, how can it be expected that those are, who are dead can hear it and live? Let us earnestly pray that the Lord's voice may sound in the ministry and that in so powerful a manner that those that sleep may awake. And the dead be raised up. Matthew chapter 12. In honor of God and his word, let's stand together. We're looking at verses 1 through 14. I said in the beginning some of this overlaps and we will repeat of it just as some of it will be repeated. At the same time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And he said, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for them to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you, that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep 
And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? <laughs> Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he says, if a man stretch out your hand and he stretched it out and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the testimony that you bear, that you bore and in your word and how you gave example of being supreme over the Sabbath day and the gift that you gave it back to us and how you remind us that it is to do good. It's your, it's your heart to do good to us on this day and to rest and to remember. Establish our hearts with right thinking concerning this blessed day. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Walter Shantry wrote, Men and women with the fullness of the Spirit and the fullness of a completed biblical revelation must be given the moral law as adults. They must hear the principles of the Sabbath keeping without the judicial agenda of the strict flavor of Moses. It's a strong statement. We must learn to be able to have conversations about things like this, the Lord's Day without automatically going into law. Because that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the heart of God here. We're talking about allegiance to Him and loving Him and observing Him for who He is. And then... He goes on to write, Still, their liberty as sons of God will be to walk in this commandment in the steps of our Savior Himself, to do what Jesus did. The spiritual essence of the Sabbath may be kept by mature saints without the features of Moses' teaching directed to childish believers. We don't want anyone to do anything because they have to. Have you ever asked somebody for help? And they go, I guess I'll do it. You're like, well, never mind. <laughs> okay. I'll die before I ask you to help me now. <laughs> you know. And, and so often we, we do passively treat God like that. And sadly, we do it as those who know him. Oh, I got to read my Bible today. I mean, I've said that. And then I'm like, oh, that's bad. You right? I mean, right? Yeah. But we're people, right? Beauty is, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus fulfilled all those laws for me. That's not a license to drive roughshod over him. But it is an invitation to ride in the car while he does in keeping them. And I'm going to ride with Jesus. And I'm going to do my best to honor him in it. My approach then to the Lord's day has to begin with my heart. The reason that I read in Matthew 12 is because there's some several things here that are just right on the top. And the big one is this. The religious leaders wanted to accuse Jesus of messing up their man-made laws that had nothing to do with the law that God gave. There was a confusion between whose law was actually being kept. 
That's what religion does. And they wanted to accuse him of breaking it. And he didn't mind giving them a reason. So the disciples plucked the heads of crane and they ate. And then he proceeds to remind them what's in the scripture. Because what they were accusing of him were not in the scripture. He also walked more than he should have on that day too. Which was not in the scripture. (laughs) Okay. And then he went in and healed a man with a withered hand. And he said to them, you care more about your sheep than you do about these sheep. And then, of course, we have the imagery of Jesus being our good shepherd. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, do we understand when we approach this day that we enter into communion with him in a special way on this day? I don't know, did y'all all go to church yesterday morning? Or the morning before that? What about Monday morning? It would be probably better to begin the week with Monday morning service and then. But the truth of the matter is Sunday's the first day of the week. And as a matter point of speaking, Monday or Sunday being the in the sequence of events of days would be the eighth day. We don't end our work week with the Sabbath. We begin it now because of Jesus. We don't invite him to look back over and reminisce, well, it could have been better. We start out going, Lord, let's make it great. It's the Lord's day. I'm prepping my heart today for tomorrow. Lord, instead of just mindlessly going through the rest of my day, I pray for for the people I'll be working with, especially those ones that are really hard to get along with. Lord, and and we begin to pray through all of those things. It's about the attitude with which we should promote. Look at Psalm 95. I put it up on the screen here. I don't know if you can see it, but I can. Well, I can. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms and for the Lord is... For the Lord is great, God, and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. That's the attitude with which we should be approaching the Lord today. Really every day, but especially today. And then he writes, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways, so I swore in my, my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Now, when we think about the Sabbath, what's the, what's the first qualifier we get from it? The word rest. The rest of God. God rested from his works, and he tells us to do the same. We rest, we stop. Okay, We stop, we observe, and we thank God for what he's made. But there was a a generation, if you read down through the Exodus epic and so on, they did not believe God. 
They saw what they saw and they refused to rest in God and their corpses were taken up in the wilderness. That's why the writer of Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 16 is so important. If you will turn there. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 16. Now I'm going to pick up and finish this as we've been alluding to it quite often through the through the series. <clears throat> Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For if indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard, this would be the ones that died in the wilderness, did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. it did, they made no use of it. They didn't believe that gospel that they had. For we have believed, and we do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. That is a that's, That goes back to the creation ordinance in Genesis 2. That's what he's referring to here, which again, I qualify to say as a proof text of why the Lord's day is continual and in a creation ordinance because he brings it back. Anyway, for he has spoken in a certain place on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. And this, of course, is Psalm 95 that we just read. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying to David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, today if you will hear his heart or his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore, and this is specific, verse 9, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. I'm going to break this down a little bit for you. When I was first reading this, we're talking about the Israelites who came out of Egypt. And God wanted to take them in to the land of Canaan, which was a land of promise, peace, safety, security, and most of all, rest. Now, what would the word rest mean to a group of slaves? How do you do that? That's rest. It's an odd word. They didn't know anything about it. So God struck Egypt in every, with a severe blow of every island God they had. When it was dark in Egypt, it was bright as day in the ocean. When there were frogs in Egypt, it was bright as day in no frogs in the ocean. When there was a lice in Egypt, no one was itching over there in the ocean. God's really good about what he does. Now, how did he do that? I, I don't know how far away the land of Goshen was from downtown Egypt in Brick, Brickyard. They could walk. Obviously, they didn't take a moped. Okay. Time to, but nonetheless, it was close enough. So how could it be pitch black, dark here, and bright as day here? And all of those things. Hail fell down, but not there in Goshen. Water turned to blood, but not there. Is God really good about preserving his people? Yes, he is. Amen. So, they saw all this, right? Then they get going out of there and they come to the Red Sea. Impassable object! Time to panic. Moses is even there. And so God says, get up! And told him what to do. 
party. And all of them were like, wow. And they all went over to the Egyptian temple. And then there's fire come down. And suddenly it separates them, right? And then the Egyptians are like, this ain't right. And so they go through the, the ocean, the, the sea, and get to the other side. They're like, we can do that too. Boom. And they drown them all. And the last person that got out of there, I'm like, that was close. But that's okay. Okay? And so their enemy was vanquished. Vanquished. They had to do nothing but just trust God and follow. That's all they had to do. That's Buddha. That's all it is. Christianity 101. <laughs> so so God says, I'm going to give you this land. And you send out some spies and go look it over. Okay, there's graves as big as my head. We brought them back. Okay? And uh, but there's a lot of big people that are no way we can take it because we're real short. And so certainly God can't. Now we know God did all that, but whatever, that was yesterday. He can't do this. And it grieved God when you leave that out. Because they would not continue. And guess what? They went in circles for 40 years. It was somewhere, someone's figured out, somewhere around uh, uh, over 92 died, 90 something people died every day for 40 years. And so my question was, well, so were they saved? Did they go to hell? Like, what happened to them? Because we're talking about here in the gospel, and they didn't believe the gospel, and they didn't enter the wrath. And I think there's a dual point here from what I've been able to comprehend from the, from the commentators. God was grieved with them, and they did not enter that rest. Some of them did die in unbelief. Now, if you remember, the Levitical system was set up, and they, they, they had the tabernacle of meeting, and the priesthood was established, and all those things were going on. And they could turn there, and they could have repented. So, I don't know how many of them were actually lost into eternal damnation, okay? Obviously some, but... To stop in the panic of the weak. And like, I, I'm with you. What's happening is hard to look away from. You see a Peterbilt coming that way. And you see a Kenworth coming this And they're getting real close. You're like, what's going to happen? You know, and boom. And you're like, I can't look away. It was awful. You know, and, and yet, that's what we see happening in our culture today. Isn't it? And what makes me tremble is like, Mocking you so bad, you're gonna like kill them. And 
and you get to worry about things, and then God will show up in the, the verse of the day off the Bible app where Jesus said, don't worry about your life. You're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, sorry about that. And so the Lord's Day is a good day to get things lined for your week. Right? Well, he's not done. In verse 11, he says, let us then be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So let me ask any of you, do any of you here care to do what the unbelieving Jews did in the desert? How many of you want to go be buried under a sage bush? I don't either. How many of you want to believe God? I do. How many of you are willing to try hard to, to wrestle with yourself and, and, and put yourself in the scriptures so that you can... Walk upright and say, God's got me. I don't know how, but he does. And boy, that was close, but hey, didn't get me. Doesn't matter. And that's what the Lord's day allows us to do. Okay, I got to hurry. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper. Now, did you see where he went with that? Right to the scripture. Where should you be living? Right in the scripture. Where should your first discipline of your day be? But right in the scripture. Don't give God the, the last end of your day. Give him the front end of your day. I don't need the truth at the end. I need it at the beginning. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Ought to maybe begin first board meetings at, at the office. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are, are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So then, so apply the scripture to you. I've got a brother here that works down under the ground, which is really dark and claustrophobic. Take the word of God down there. Let it be in your, in your mind. Where can I go from your presence? Nowhere. Well, what can possibly separate me? Nothing! Right? Not a thing. And that's our confidence that we get from reading the scripture. Right? That's because we started out right on the first day of the week with the Lord's day. And, and then we read, seeing then that we have a great high priest who was passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Hold fast. There was a there was a, a remake of uh, Moby Dick, uh, forget in color and stuff, and they had a sailor on there. He didn't talk much, but he had he had brain surgery. No, no, it was Master and Commander. That's what it was, not Moby Dick. It was Master and Commander. I like that show. Anyway, so he had gotten he had to put a he had a hole in his head. He wasn't right, but he had on his one fist the word hold, and then on the other one fast. And when they went to put the coin in his skull, yuck, he did this. Hold fast. There was nothing he could do. He had a hole in his head. <laughs> so here we are on this earth. We're surrounded by chaos and illogical stuff. And the Lord says, hold fast. Now what does he say hold fast to? Our confession. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God the Son and He lives for me. And He said He would never leave me. And He would never forsake me. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. (laughs) Yet, yet. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You say, well, you never did answer how you're supposed to live on the Lord's day. I sure did. First of all, I deserve it. You start by coming to church. Second, rest in it. Not only rest physically, rest in healing. My mind never stops. It's that big. That big. Just never stops. Just boom. I mean, it's boom. Like Andy the squirrel all the time. That's why my office looks the way it does. Don't get it. And so, I wake up this morning and I'm thinking about all the things that I got to do. And then, because of this, because of this series, the Lord says, what is today? I said, Lord, it's your day. I don't want to think about anything that will compete with the supremacy of who you are in my life today. Now, you go, well, that's thinking. What about acting out? Well, practically. Well, so remember why today is the Lord's Day. Be sensitive to the fact that it is the Lord's Day all day. Discipline yourself to consider all that you do in life of what the day represents as the Lord's Day. Don't get involved, I guess, in anything that would cause you such distraction that you would end up making it like any other day in common. Don't get involved in things that you can put off till later. Don't get involved in things that, that that would make God disappear from your consciousness. You say, what does that look like? A lot. And then it's different for everybody. But as you go about your day, if you go home and you, uh, you're like, okay, well, boy, that's going to be a big job right there. Whew, boy. Or, hey, how about this would, I can sit here and do this, and I, it will allow me to think about the Lord's instead. You see the difference? You, you choose what's best and fitting for the Lord's day. Oh, and I don't guess I... Now, we ought not go home and watch bad movies. You shouldn't be doing that anyway. No, no, you shouldn't be doing it. Especially on the Lord's Day, you shouldn't do it at all. Okay, you, you don't go get involved in political rancor. Come on. Not on the Lord's Day. Okay? In other words, what do you do on the Lord's Day? You rest and remember and spend it with the Lord. You might even read your Bible a little bit more. <laughs> you know, you, you may say, well, okay. Uh, and you know, with, the, with cell phones and, and, the, and the sermon audio app, you say, gosh, I got to mow that dumb yard. Put on a sermon. You know, there's a download folder on the sermon audio app. Look, some, look up something that's on your heart. Download it. Put in your earbuds. Mow your yard. Utilize that. Because what are you going to do if you said... Man, long more thoughts without the gospel is a scary place to go. Okay. That's a bad deal. That's the devil's playground, and you all know it. Okay. So, what, whatever, you know, uh, uh, men and women, whatever you've got, just 
make this set apart to the Lord's day every time. Pray more. You say, well, I think what I'll do is I'll, I'm going to maybe every hour and a half or two, I'm just going to make it a point to remember to pray for the nations. I'm going I'm to pray about this, and I didn't read it in one of John Lyson's letters. He said, how important it is to pray for the pastors, because you want to know who the number one risk to the church is? It's this guy. Okay, you get me all messed up, and I can throw a bomb in this place. Okay, so pray for me. Pray for all of us, guys. Pray for the leadership of the church. Pray for the, pray for the church family. Think of somebody. I guess at the end, in closing, don't let the Lord's day be a common annual joke. It doesn't end at midnight. It goes on. And the Lord expects us to keep him front and center. Yes, Monday through Friday may be like in a blender. Now, if I've said some things here and, and you're here and you don't know Jesus, the only way you're going to know Sabbath rest is to know Jesus. That's right. To know Christ. But you've got to bring your sin to him and lay it down because that's work. Your sin is work. You carry it around. Come to Christ. Let Jesus take it. I profess Christ as my Lord. If someone were watching me on this day, 